0: Book the book podcast where two guys tell you about the books that they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden,
1: and I'm Rob Olson. This episode, we'll be talking about the book *Sunset Park* by Paul Oster, published in November of 2010. Oster is a well-established author with having uh, over 15 novels published, including a book that we talked about last episode, the New York Trilogy, which I went back and I did a little digging on, and it turns out that. The three stories in the book were originally published separately and then later uh, published as one book in a collection. Uh, In addition to his novels, Oster has also published poetry, essays, screenplays. He's done, um, I think he got his start actually translating French literature into English and uh, he's also done some other stuff. He's also um, won several awards and is well known in the literary community.
0: So we tried recording this podcast last night, and uh, after many technical difficulties on my end, when we finally were able to record it, um, it seemed that I was stumbling trying to do the part where we tell you what the story is about. So I'm going to cheat a little bit and give you a little idea. This is from Publishers Weekly. Um... Sunset Park uh, is a story of New York native Miles Heller now cleans out foreclosed South Florida homes, but after falling in love with an underage girl and stirring the wrath of her older sister, he flees to Brooklyn and shacks up with a group of artists squatting in the borough's Sunset Park neighborhood. To say that that's what the story's about is kind of like, it's kind of like telling you a fat guy's going to the gym for his health. Um, Miles Heller, the main character, is <laughs> he, he's the vehicle that Auster uses to... Um, to showcase uh, quite a few character portraits and then sprinkle the book with with different references and shout-outs to American um, culture and other things that at least seem to be dear to him. So it's kind of a hodgepodge of different things that would lead me to believe are very important to Auster um, or something at least he'd like us to think are important to him. And then again, just a character showcase, um, which he does very, very well, but I don't think there's much of a story to be told here.
1: In addition to uh, really well-developed characters. There are definitely some dominant themes that uh, that he develops in great detail throughout the book. Um, I don't know. I can just kind of list them one at a time. We can just kind of chat about it. But I made a kind of a list of things that I noticed um, that he kind of sprinkles through. It's suspiciously consistent through all the characters, I think. like um, He definitely made a like an effort to interconnect the characters and certain things that had an impact on one person. Later on, it would come up uh, when another character was talking about something or in reference to another character. So, uh, I don't know, that's just a little thought. The interconnectedness of the book was definitely something that He did so much that it seemed almost conspicuous. One
0: example, and we're not giving anything away here, but he references quite a bit. uh, A movie, I believe, is from 1946 called The Best Years of Our Lives, and it seems to me that the eight characters or nine characters, I'm almost certain every one of them had seen that movie. This is a movie I didn't even know existed until I read this book. I actually had to look it up and see if it was a real movie. But it comes up, um, if not in all of them, probably five of these six or seven characters all of them reference this movie in some way or another
1: yeah and so significantly like it had such an impact on their lives that um it it just seemed i don't know it seemed just a little bit forced to me that there would be that level of significance for something as random as a movie from decades ago i don't know it came off as a little forced Mm -hmm. um but
0: Um, back to the good points on this his character development is um, some of the best I've read in a really long time he has a way of making you feel like these I don't want to say like you know them because they don't remind you necessarily of people you know or maybe they do they didn't remind me of anybody I knew but I really felt like these were very (laughs) believable real characters Um, and not necessarily that I'd like them as people but I found them to be written so well that I could believe they would be somebody I'd know I don't know if that makes sense to anybody but
1: me yeah, he does a good job. Uh, the character development's incredible. and um, there's a lot of the times when I'm reading books, one of the biggest one of the the simplest ways to lose me is if I don't have a way to empathize with characters and um, I mean, lacking empathy with characters, even just to understand them. And he does a great job of developing characters in a way that you if you can't empathize with them, you still can see things from their point of view. Uh, even though you might not, you know, have that personal connection. He does a great, great job of developing characters in this book.
0: So if I had to go back and say what it was about, I couldn't talk a whole lot about story, as I'd already said, but I do think it's a lot about, um, and sadly this one of Rob's notes, and not to steal from, but it's about identity. And you find out what makes some of these people tick. It's um, Heller and his three roommates, and then the other main characters in the the book are um, Heller's father, stepmother, and his... um, his real mother, um, who he's been separated from for years, but it's at some point you feel like they all have some type of identity crisis um, that they're working through, which is a very common theme from my understanding in, in, um, in Auster's books as well. Identity, identity, and then some more identity. I just think he treats it a little differently in this one, at least from the New York trilogy. In that book, nobody knew who they were um, at all, literally, um, <laughs> versus this where they were just trying to figure out what they were all about
1: yeah what I've read about Auster because, as I said before, um the only thing I've read besides this is a New York Trilogy, which Livia said I, I mean, I honestly don't even think the people I don't think the characters in New York Trilogy even had actual names. they were called colors and stuff like that. but um i, I guess it is something that uh something of a a trend in Auster books that identity is a theme, and then specifically people who um, kind of give up everything. And kind of rebuild themselves, or you know, so that departure from what you were in in the in the quest for, you know, finding out who you you know really are, or something like that. So that's definitely present in this book too, in more than one main character.
0: He also deals um, quite a bit with I don't want to say quite a bit, but he does touch on the sexuality of the characters. Um, Again, in I don't know how to say this. Not necessarily in an interconnected way, but he does make it a point of addressing some type of sexual reference for just about every character in the book, which also came across a little bit forced, much like the... um the best years of our lives reference and i'm sure there were some other things um, in there that kind of came across that way too but i found that a little odd but it, it worked okay within each individual character i liked what he did but overall it just seemed like he was really like it was a checklist that he was going down in sexual deviance or preference or something was one of the check marks he had to check
1: off for almost every character i would say that the um i don't know if it's here's the thing when you're talking about sexual the sexuality i don't think anything there i guess there was some parts that were somewhat bizarre or unusual but i think he just kind of i think it's more of an exploration of people's sexual uniqueness i think would be the best way to say it because it's a um, nice way to say it <laughs> But I mean, it, I mean, you you can see that everybody is different in their sexuality, but not always necessary in like a freaky way or in in, in a way that's you know unnatural or not right. The thing, okay, so we're we're struggling with the idea that um, it seems like some of these themes are kind of forced because he touches on it with every character. But one thing that is really I think important to explain to someone who hasn't read this book is the narration, and the narration is like a third person omniscient. So there's not necessarily like um, anything that the narrator doesn't know and it's very much exposition so he's basically dumping information on you in a way where nothing's off limits or out of bounds and so i think if it seems like he's running through a checklist i think that's more because of the way the narration gives him the freedom to talk about anything he wants then obviously he's going to focus on the things that he's talked about before with um, other characters of wealth that might be the reason we're seeing it as such a consistency—that's weird. It might just be the a function of the way that it's narrated. That's possible, and it's not something I talk about. But yeah, I've, I've thought about
0: rather. Um, but yeah, the omnipotent narrator does lend itself to that. And I guess if sex comes up often enough in regular people's lives or in their heads, it is something that would be covered. So,
1: all right, maybe I'll give him a pass on that. But there's well, I mean, entirely, they don't want us to sound like we're dogging on the guy for um, something that's not. I mean. That's something that, it's not a fault. Mm-hmm.
0: And and no, and exactly, I don't want to do that either because, and I was going to make the statement later, it's one of the best written books I've read in some time. And some time for me is, you know, not even you know, this last year, but, you know, I mean, it was a very, very well-written book, but within mm-hmm. it were flaws, in my opinion. And that, you know, is kind of the balancing act that we have to do when we actually you know, sit down and give this a score, um, is we have to weigh the good against the bad.
1: So. Yeah, another um. theme that I think came up a lot, unless you had something to say. No, go ahead. Another theme that I think came up a lot uh, was just the meaning of things. Uh, I think that consistently throughout the book, characters were referencing like the movie that we talked about and things, parts of the movie, and and what their commentary was on on meaning and value of things and the example that comes to mind for me is they were talking about in the book um one of the characters miles's father and in, in a moment by himself was reflecting on um earlier years when miles was a child and he did a book report about to kill a mockingbird and in the book report um he had this very um, insightful kind of thought about the theme of characters in the book being injured and the kid, I mean, he's a kid, he's, you know, in fifth grade or whatever, and he wrote this thing, um, took that whole kind of theme of people being injured throughout the book as kind of a commentary saying you, you, you're not a man until you've survived an injury or you you're not, you, you, you're not a full person until you've gone through and survived some sort of trauma of some kind. So meaning in a lot of ways was very important and very, very thoroughly explored in this book.
0: He also talked a lot about baseball, which is one of my least favorite things <laughs> in the whole world. But I will say that he managed to keep it interesting. And uh, again, one of those probably ways that was a little forced was there were several characters in the book that all knew all of these very obscure baseball references to players. I found him interesting because he managed to deliver it in an interesting way, and it wasn't just, you know, runs batted in and errors. I mean, he talked about some very interesting baseball characters. Um, that, you know, I'm not familiar with, and from the way it sounded, it sounded like they were, uh, you know, it wasn't Babe Ruth and, you know, and, and big-name players, but he had mentioned some more obscure players, and I actually found that interesting enough, even though the subject itself kind of, you know, grates my skin.
1: Right. Well, I think from, uh, if, if anybody's heard the older podcasts, you'll know what I feel about sports in general, uh, thanks to my little book club as a kid, yeah, uh, baseballs. To me, is boring as hell. Um, and to be completely honest, I paid very little attention during the baseball parts of the book, so I might not have gained as much and I gotten as much out of it as you did. Okay. So all in all, um, what we
0: have is uh, kind of what comes across as a disjointed story, or at least not, I don't want to say it's not linear, it's actually a very linear story. It takes place over a span of you know, less than a year. Um, but its uh, it's about people. And their struggle to find out who they are, and just some really, really good insight. And Oster did an incredible job developing his characters. Um, just for anybody else who's listening, to the first two podcasts, you know, we talked, I kind of um, talked about uh, uh, during the Mozart conspiracy how the main character there I felt was kind of flat, and we didn't have any background on him, and no really real reason to care about what happened to him. This is the exact opposite. This is somebody who took all of the action out of a story and just you know just gave you character 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 and and it worked really well it was very easy to read it was I wasn't bored with it at all even though the subject matter itself doesn't sound terribly interesting um, it was just done so well that it was very easy for me to read and enjoy
1: one thing i wanted to mention too before um, i forget about it so far we've say we've told we've talked about how he mentioned uh, a really old movie and he's talked about <laughs> obscure baseball players from a long time ago but he had some some sort of more recent and um, I don't know, contemporary issues that he mentioned. Uh, There was an activist group that one of the characters worked for, I can't remember the name of it, but um, It was P-A-N
0: Maybe P-A-N
1: Again, can't remember what the the, I think it's an actual organization too so I kind of feel bad that I didn't prepare any notes on it. But anyway um, one of the big things that the organization was doing uh, in this part of the book for this character was they were trying to get a chinese uh like a political activist who had just been imprisoned named lu Xiaobo, i think is how you would say it out of jail because he was jailed for some sort of process he did and i mean aside from the fact that this actual event happened in 2008 i believe um, he was the one that was just nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, I think within the last six months or so, and it caused a big uproar with China. So when I read the book and I saw this, I was like, oh, hey, you know, this is, I just heard about this guy in the news. This is really cool.
0: So the question is, what came first? Um, the book was published in 2000. <laughs> well, the book was published in late 2010. Um, even though the story takes place during the you know, economic crisis of 2008, that could have been uh, something that Auster threw in. Um, towards i'm going to go ahead
1: and give him credit for the nomination for the for lou jabot for the nobel peace prize just because i can well there you go <laughs> even if it might not be true <laughs> so,
0: um, my one big big gripe with the book and just because uh, rob had a word snob minute with the last one um, i'm going to read this to you and first of all i have to say that i, I don't i've never seen paul oster i know nothing about him but After reading this paragraph in his book, I'm going to assume he's 5'3 and weighs about 135 pounds. I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to explain to you why it upset me so much. Um, He's describing a character, um, Bing. This is probably paragraph 4 of of the introduction of Bing. And he says, He has a large hulking presence, a sloppy bear of a man with a full brown beard and a gold stud in his left earlobe, an inch under 6 feet tall, but a wide and waddling 220 pounds. Okay, guys, I don't know how many of you have ever weighed 220 or 5'11". I was there once. I don't think anybody would have called me wide and waddling. I've talked to some of my fat bastard friends, and they have also said that, no, they wouldn't consider somebody that height and that weight to be wide and waddling. So all I can assume from that is that Mr. Oster is a scrawny little guy, and that that's what he imagines a 220-pound a uh, guy to be wide and waddling, sloppy bear of a man.
1: He could just keep company with really small people. Yeah, that could be. So, I don't know. But I doubt it. Other than that, though, I really liked the Bing character
0: after I got over the fact that I had to kind of envision him as Oscar wanted me to see him and not as, you know, an incredibly dashing guy with a beard, you know, like I was when I was 220
1: pounds, so. You had a beard? No, I have a little chin hair thing, so. (laughs) Close enough. Um yeah, I think that was a little inaccurate. Um, so, hey, look at that. You know, this is the episode where Livius gets to be the word snob. Right. Congratulations. Thank you.
0: You know what? It actually does feel pretty rewarding. I, I didn't think, being on the other end of it, that it would be this rewarding. But, no, it really does feel rewarding to call someone out on that. All right, so anything else you want to say about the book before we throw some uh, some stars at it?
1: Stars, plural, maybe. I don't know. I just want to throw since you threw a since you word snobbed a quote i'm just going to throw a quick quote out there which i don't know sometimes for some reason it just kind of touched me as like a really well stated thing but it's also kind of pointed because it's about publishing um it's a uh, it's a little quote where miles is thinking about the difference between his father and his uh stepfather his parents both remarried when he was younger and um he was, he was reflecting on the stepfather whose last name is Corngold. And the quote is Corngold reminded him of his father, not in looks or affect or bearing, but in the work he did, which was scrambling to make small worthwhile films in a world of mega junk, just as his father was scrambling to publish worthwhile books in a world of fads and weightless ephemera. I don't know. I just thought it was a well-stated quote, a nice little commentary on, uh, the current state of, I guess, entertainment in general. I liked it. Yeah, not a bad quote. Rob uses his fancy Kindle to post these things online, so I get to see him, too, whenever he likes something. So, I did. I saw that, and I copied it, and I shot it right over to Amazon. It was very nice, and Facebook. I think we're ready to do some quick uh, wrap-ups and ratings if you want to get it started. Sure. I'm going to go over it one more time. Very, very short on story. Very, very
0: long on great... Um, Great character development. Um, don't mind. Don't misunderstand that. Not great characters. They're not going to live with me for for a long time, as some other characters have from books. But in uh, in reading it, they were very easy to read. They were likable in that I feel like I know that guy kind of way. And um, you know, after weighing the good against the bad, the bad being I, I like stories. I would like to see some something develop and happen. I think that was a little lacking here. Um, probably robbing it of a four star rating and i'm going to give it three and a half stars for just some very very great writing in the in the character development department
1: all right <clears throat> i'm going to go ahead and say that first off i just want to start by saying i liked the book uh the Oscar book the the new york trilogy that i read was just a little too confusing and weird for me to really buy into it so i was cautious coming into this book but he did a really, really good job. And, I mean, he's there's no contesting the fact that he's a really, really talented writer. He developed incredible characters. He made it very easy to buy into them and be interested by them. And, I don't know, it was easy to uh, keep turning pages. The story was definitely thin in parts, um, but never too thin where I wanted to abandon the story. And overall, it was an entertaining read. I liked it. And uh, I I don't have too much that's bad to say about it. Uh, Furthermore, from what I read, that's kind of the Auster style. He's more into the elements that he's good with than into writing a book in the traditional sense. So I'm not going to fault him for that. All that being said, I am giving it a 3. Again, I think a 3 is a good score. A a 3 basically means I enjoyed the book. Um, I didn't dislike anything too heavily i wasn't blown away by it or or uh you know it didn't stand out as being spectacular but i liked the book and i would recommend it to people so it's getting a three from me and um thumbs up oster i liked it
0: okay so here's a question this is something i think we should do going forward um what do you think are we reading another oster book in the future
1: i would definitely read more oster
0: i will say this i tried an oster book a couple months ago the book's called invisible Thirty pages in, and I was again just heavily confused and gave it up. So, don't know this one. I liked, um, but this one again was apparently one of the more down-to-earth books he's written. It's not you know, not that kind of postmodern style that that he's known for. So, yeah, I mean, I think I'll give another Oster Oster another shot after reading Sunset Park.
1: All right, can I do a quick um, suggestion of other books?
0: Absolutely, as long as I don't have to read them, I don't care.
1: I'm not going to make you read anything. Uh, If you are a general fan of Auster or have read this book and are interested in books that are kind of like it, I'm going to first throw out the one that's a bit of a stretch, which is Kurt Vonnegut and Practically Anything by Kurt Vonnegut. And my reason for (laughs) suggesting Kurt Vonnegut is because he does a lot of very, very intense character development, and he pretty much the only thing that vonnegut writes about is the human condition he's very very focused on um humanity the ups and downs of life and uh really developing uh the story of a person so if if oster's book sunset park or other books where he focuses heavily on individual characters you know touches you i think that vonnegut in a very goofy and more scientific science sci-fi kind of way uh could do the same thing I know that you were laughing at that, Livius, but I, I, mean, I The reason I was laughing perilous. is
0: you said the reason that you're recommending Vonnegut, and I was totally expecting you to say it is because that's what you recommend for everything. And then that was then <laughs> that, and was going to be it, just because that's what I tell people they should read all the time. I read some Vonnegut at, at your uh, suggestion, and I really enjoyed it. So,
1: Wow, good, good. Uh, the other book that I want is a specific book I want to recommend, um, more for... Uh, the New York feel of it is the book Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, written by Jonathan Saffron for Have you read that? I movie? have
0: not. It's, it's kind of always been on my long list of books to read. I've just never gotten around to it.
1: Jonathan Saffron Four is known for his book Everything is Illuminated, I think is probably what people know off the top and, of their head. And, it, and it, it was, that's the book that's been on my long list of books to read. Sorry.
0: Same author, different book. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Uh, Everything is Illuminated is an incredible book. I loved it. Uh, And er extremely loud and incredibly close. The book that I'm recommending this time is because it's New York located. It's very central to New York, so it's got that kind of feel to it. Uh, It takes place soon after the terrorist attacks of September 11th, and it's about a child who lost his father on 9-11, and he has this kind of uh, bizarre... I guess you would call it a quest, where he has a key from his father that he doesn't know what the key opens. So he goes on this quest throughout the city to find out what the key opens, and it's, it's really kind of this quest for closure and, and everything, and it's a really deeply character-based book, very emotional, and it's got that New York touch that I think, uh, if you like reading books that are tuned to a specific setting, and New York is one of them, this book does it really well okay um i don't have anything to recommend that's
0: remotely (laughs) resemble sunset park so i let rob do that for you this week what i am going to recommend is what i'm currently reading which is not a book for the podcast um as i do read some things that we're not going to be reviewing uh and one of the reasons i didn't i actually would love to review this book but it's the third in a series um and I, it's just it's a bad place to start we did it the first one we did it the second one <laughs> only here in the united states the first two books are available so um the book i'm reading is called king of plagues um it's by uh, jonathan mayberry uh, it's the third in the joe ledger series which is i was trying to think of a real quick way to explain the ledger series for you it's like this guy heads up a special forces team that fights very james bondish villains but in a in a more realistic way. It's uh, heavy on the action. Um, Really great stuff. The series was just optioned recently by Sony for television, which I was surprised. I thought if anybody picked it up, it would be for movies, but uh, apparently they're trying to make it into a TV series of sorts. Again, follows Joe Ledger, who's a former police officer who gets drafted into this, um, well, fictional government agency. I believe it's the Department of Militarized Service, the DMS. I think that's what it stands for. Um, And they, fight a variety of bad guys that are it's not just that they're terrorists um i should mention the first two books first book was patient zero something i picked up off the shelf at the library with low expectations really really enjoyed it. it was followed up by the dragon factory and now king of plagues um patient zero is a very realistic zombie story it's about a terrorist group that develops a and I don't remember if it's a gas or whatever, but basically it turns people into zombie-like creatures, and Ledger and his team have to not only constantly fight zombies, but uh, get to the bottom of it and stop these people from producing this um, this zombie plague. So, any rate, read some Mayberry. Um, again, start with Patient Zero. It's the best way to go. There's a free short story on Mayberry's site um, that uh, is about Joe Ledger. Sadly, I haven't gotten around to reading it, but i uh, working my way through book three right now
1: can I say two things really Absolutely. quick about that I like how you said um, <laughs> like you are saying that the stories are more realistic and then the first thing you mentioned is a zombie yeah. outbreak yeah, well, <laughs> it was kind of a funny ironic <laughs> thing Uh <laughs> and the other thing is, you were surprised that it was being developed by TV, and the first thing I thought of was um, that the movie studios are busy developing those Scott Mariani books, so they probably don't have room for anything else. There you
0: go. I do. I will tell you, I had a conversation with someone at work yesterday or the other day, and I predicted that um, you know, by like 2015, the only thing in movie theaters will be superhero movies after looking at the list. The the long long list like they're they're they've got to be close to like saying Aquaman needs a movie you know it's a superhero that nobody cared for while he was there and actually the DC universe went and killed him off and nobody cared and then they turned him into a zombie which I guess is a nice little tie into my
1: my pitch for uh, for Mayberry's books so not to get too much into that um, tangent but do you want to know why they reboot uh, movie uh, superhero movies so frequently bored and have nothing better to do. You would think so, but the reason that they do it is because um, when they buy rights from Marvel and d c and all these comic book uh, companies, they I think they have a, a window of time to use those uh, those rights in, and that's because, you know, if they want to develop you know more than one movie, I think they have like a window of time from what I understand, to develop movies in, and then after that time, they the rights revert back and to the so, publisher,
0: which I know is true of books, but it never occurred to me about comic books. But yeah, that is an interesting point.
1: Yeah, and so it's more of a function of like, we paid for these rights. We're going to squeeze as much money out of them as we can while we have them, as opposed to just kind of leaving it alone and letting it go. So, I mean, there's kind—it's of, it's its 100% money motivated, but not necessarily in the way that you would think. It's all about the money. I
0: mean, that's why we're doing the
1: podcast.
0: That's, that's,
1: why, that's <laughs> so. why we're we're gonna be rich podcasts. What did you so. say? Zuckerman Rich, is that what it was? I mean, <laughs> We're gonna this podcast is gonna make us Zuckerberg rich. Zuckerberg Rich. There you go. I'm gonna get that tattooed on my leg. So. The first the first thing I'm buying with my um my fat bags of podcast money is a jetpack.
0: I don't even know what that means. <laughs> it doesn't mean There's anything. There's a band called money. They Promised Us Jetpacks, by the way. Again, I I don't even understand the whole jetpack reference, but apparently it's out there for some people. I don't know. It's the future, you know? The future has jetpacks. It's the whole thing. Got it. Can we talk about the next book we're going to read?
1: Yes, I would love for you to give a great explanation of the next book we're going to read.
0: Okay, so here it is. The first three books we read were, um, I don't want to say they were blockbuster books. We're not reviewing Twilight and you know, Daniel Steele, these obviously weren't uh, books that were in the high on the bestseller list. But originally, when we talked about doing this, we also wanted to be able to do some really small press stuff and some indie publishing. So uh, via Twitter and the internets and everything else, I came across um, Brown Paper Publishing um uh, small press, indie press, they have uh, say it's eight or ten titles for, for this year. And one of them is When October Falls by Christopher J. Dwyer. I'm going to read you the little synopsis right from their word page. Clint Corbus has lost it all. His sanity, his grip on life, and most importantly, his wife, Jenna, who disappeared without warning. Exhausted and incapable of coping with the loss, the only relief seems to be suicide. But then a series of happenings indicate that Jenna may not be dead. She may be closer than Clint thinks. Uh, it's a really short book. I'm going to go ahead and plug it. It's $5 to get an actual book copy. It's uh, dirt cheap. Um, it's 184 print. pages. Hmm? Five bucks for a print edition? I think so.
1: Wow. Yeah. I
0: thought we get free PDF download for it. So I may have to edit that out afterwards. But yeah, it's 4.95 purchase via Brown Paper Publishing. So, at any anyway, rate, we're going to give a um, lesser-known author uh, a shot at our wit and wisdom. And uh, hopefully we can turn some people on to some smaller press stuff, too. So that's something we'd like to do from time to time. Um, so if you're a small press or a small press author, and you'd like to send us some advanced reader copies or copies of your book to read, or digital copies, which is my preferred method of reading, um, please do so. Contact us through uh, via Twitter or through WordPress.
1: I'm very excited about uh, dipping our toes into the indie press uh, book review scene. It was one of the main reasons I was very excited about doing this podcast was to talk about the spectrum of authors from you know New York Times bestsellers all the way down to people who are just getting their starts or who are just publishing on a very uh, much lower scale. It was very exciting for me. Yeah, that's just his
0: way of calling me a mass market whore, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. I used the word spectrum. <laughs> yes, you did.
1: I did. I used the word spectrum.
0: Anything else you want <laughs> to? Anything else you want to tell the folks before we sign off? Uh,
1: I could do a really quick update. Hey, everyone, um, I plugged joey camo on a previous episode and i want to report back that i started reading his most recent book the girl who could can i stop you just for a second if If
0: you have any children listening now's the time to send them out of the room because i
1: got to hear about this the other night (laughs) I'm not going to go into (laughs) any detail. Uh, So keep the kids in the room. Well, no, you go ahead and send them out. (laughs) I started reading this book. I'm uh, a little over a third of the way through it. Again, it's a smaller book, probably 70 or 80 pages. And um, it's naughty. It's a naughty book in a big, naughty way. So if you're looking for some amusing naughty tales, you can buy The Girl Who Couldn't Come. I think it was 6 bucks for me on Amazon. Uh, And that's what I've got. Are you ready to sign off? I'm ready to sign off. All right. Uh, That is Booked for this week. And if you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at Booked Podcast. You can email us at BookedPodcast at gmail.com. Our Goodreads account is Booked Podcast. And you can... Go to our blog, which is bookedpodcast.wordpress.com. And please, if you have
0: comments, good, bad, or indifferent, um, feel free to let us know. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. And if you don't like the podcast, tell your friends, too, because just because you have crappy taste doesn't mean they do.
1: And if you like the podcast, but you aren't really too hip to the audio, we're working on it. No, we're not. (laughs) Until next time, I'm (laughs) Olivia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.
0: Inside your war song, and I sing.